There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. The attack on all your senses from minute one. It was incredible. Don't just hand over this life. Educate yourself. I welcome anything that would help to protect the children further, you know. The same spiel we get from them. Very little respect. Can we just talk? Call 0818 9696 in June and she was saying how from her perspective as a student it just has to be a combination type leaving cert because of all they've been through in the last couple of years and she made her case like a senior counsel would really really impressed a lot of people this morning I'm reading in some of the newspapers that they're saying the authorities there's no way we could do that this year we can't do a hybrid this year. It has to be a sit-down exam. Give more details on that. It's in the Irish Times this morning that a hybrid isn't possible uh, this year, which is kind of going against what the students are saying. We really, really, really need one. Also, going through the fridge this morning to put together the few bits and pieces that a man might bring to work with him to nibble on during the day. We were talking about, or thinking about, um, best before dates and, and use-by dates. Uh, and there's a story in the sun as well. Uh, today, the Irish Sun that ties in, they say Morrisons. I don't think we have Morrisons here, but in the UK, Morrisons are going to ditch used by dates on milk and other products, maybe, to encourage people not to waste food. Used by dates, best before dates. Oh, we're just discussing it earlier on ourselves then as a follow up. Like, do you take much notice of the used by date or the best before date on a product? Or do you do what well, we all did, what our mothers did and our fathers did and our grandfathers did? You just sniff it and see is it all right? Or that awful moment when you put milk in the coffee and it goes, oh, you know, do you chance that? Do you use or do you take much notice of use by or best before dates? Have a think about that one for me. I'll come back to it during the course of the morning. But I want to go first to Cabinet because more changes are coming in terms of isolation and testing and what happens to you if you're a close contact. Because we know at the moment that close contacts are the bane of business. You have businesses, pubs with their kitchens closed, you have shops with their hours cut, you have all sorts of businesses, public transport. I'm not so sure if we've been hitting Cork, but I know it up the country, some railway routes and bus routes have been hit by a lack of staff 
due to close contact, not even due to being a case, but due to being a close contact. And the chief medical officer came forward with some proposals, and those proposals are going to cabinet, cabinet meeting, I think, as we speak. And I've been catching up before we came to air with the Irish Sun's political commentator, uh, Adam Higgins. So, Adam, there's a few things to be approved this morning. A major bonus, I think, for people who are fully vaccinated and boosted with regard to being a close contact. Yes. So if you have got the booster vaccine and you become a close contact, you will no longer have to isolate at all. You won't have to restrict your movements in any way. The only thing the government will ask you to do is to uh, monitor yourself with an antigen test. And that same rule goes for someone who has had two doses of the vaccine and has been infected in recent weeks or months by the Omicron wave because we know that there is a large cohort of people who picked up this virus over the Christmas and are now not eligible for the the booster dose for another couple of months. So that will apply to them as well. They won't have to isolate. Then for people who um, have the two doses of the vaccine who haven't picked up the virus or who haven't had the booster, the isolation period or restriction period moves from 10 days down to seven mm. for those when, when they become a close contact. So there's kind of altogether a move to reduce the amount of uh, restricting that needs to be done if, among close contacts. So is this being driven by science and medicine or is it being driven by business lobbying because we know businesses are in serious trouble here even transport public transport some routes are off with loads of restaurants and shops on reduced hours uh, are sometimes even closed uh, down here in cork is this being driven by the business sector or by science that's a good question and you're right we've seen this kind of staff shortage pressure across uh, the country and across all sectors and there's fears that it's going to affect schools it's already affecting hospitals and the health service you're right about the hospitality sector as well there's some restaurants who have just had to close and the government did ask Neffet this was last week uh, after the cabinet the government decided that they would ask uh, the team of public health experts to please have a look again at the close contacts rules and see if there's anything we can do to ease this burden of, of uh, staff shortages on all sectors. And so that's where this was initiated and public health have looked at it, done their due diligence, and this is the advice that they're given. So it is scientific public health advice, but it is coming from a place where the government asked them to consider it. In terms of antigen tests, a lot of people are going to be using a lot more of them, particularly now with this not having to isolate for for five days or restrict your movements are they going to be available are they going to come down in price because at the moment they're they're like hen's teeth they are indeed and there's another part of this uh, there's two other parts of the changes that I'll just run through for your listeners that are, are going before cabinet today the first is that people who pick up the virus now will will no longer have to isolate for the full 10 days. That isolation period is being cut back to seven days. That's for all positive cases across the board, whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated. Mm. The second big change is in testing. So now we know that it's uh, it's like trying to buy Gartbrook Brooks tickets now trying to get a PCR test. It's very difficult. The pressure on the system is huge and the capacity can't meet the demand that's there because of this Omicron wave. So what the government are doing is if you get a positive antigen test, that will now count 
as your positive test. Um, you'll be able to go onto a new HSE website that will be up, uh, made live later on this week and you'll be able to log your test which will then count in the daily numbers. So that's another big change that's happening and you're right, this is going to create even more pressure on antigen tests and I'm sure some of your listeners will know that if you go into your lo local supermarket or your pharmacy, often they're sold out because of the pressure on the system because so many people are close contacts or are symptomatic at this time of the year. The government hasn't moved to make the price of antigen tests come down at all. We saw them talk about that last year, but they, they never really went through with it and said the market was doing it itself and said that you can buy tests for two ninety nine or um, in and around that price. But we know they vary across the country. When put to the ministers that... Um, antigen tests is a, is a cost that's been lobbied onto the, the public. They say that the HSE will provide free antigen tests. So the HSE is sending them out. You can go onto the HSE website, register yourself as a close contact, and they will send out five free tests. The problem with that is the time delay in yeah. between you getting it and when, when you order. So if you're a close contact and you're waiting those day or two, maybe three days for these tests to come out, that's the, the period that you could then spread the virus yeah. or do you isolate, even though we know the isolation rules have changed. There's no move on free tests available other than from the HSC. There's no move on government subsidies. They're just not, not going there, are they? No, the government would argue that these tests are free because they're giving them out through the HSC. So that's the government's position on it. But we know that the fences that you have to jump to get these tests now by going to the HSC and having them posted out does put a barrier mm. in the way of what you know, we've seen across the water, for example, in the UK, where you can walk into your local pharmacy, register your name and your uh, medical number, and then you, they'll give them to you over the counter. Yeah. Just one last thing, Adam, in terms of the Taoiseach was very clear here uh, yesterday, the day before, when he spoke in Cork about the idea of mandatory vaccination. For him, it's, it's off the table. Is it off the table? Is there no appetite for it at all around the cabinet table? Around the cabinet table, no, there's no appetite at all for mandatory vaccines and it's something that um, most of the cabinet have said all the way through. But there is, just on the Taoiseach's point of view, I remember um, he has done U-turns on things before. I remember in his first year in leadership as Taoiseach, he said that there's no way that Ireland would be going. He told the Fianna Fáil parliamentary party that he didn't want Ireland going down the route of mandatory vaccine passes yeah. for hospitality sector. And we saw that that is now in place. So, uh, look, it, he was very clear and very public about it there uh, the other day, saying that mandatory vaccines is not where we want to go. So I would be inclined to, to trust him and believe him in, in what he said there. But there is space for U-turns, and we've seen that before. Okay. Adam, thanks as always for being with us. Brilliant. Thanks, PJ. Adam Higgins of the Irish Sun. And a valid point he makes, there was a time, there was a time, when Michal Martin said that they wouldn't bring in the showing of a vaccine cert to get into a pub or that he didn't see it as a thing. And it's a thing and will be a thing for a while to come, whether we like it or not. But Taoiseach adamant that there will be no mandatory vaccinations. It's one we'll we'll watch. Speaking of one we'll watch, I mentioned at the top of the programme yesterday talk, we were talking to Stacey about the Leaving Cert and Stacey was adamant, she's sitting the Leaving Cert in June this year, adamant that she wants to have a hybrid. She wants to have the choice of taking either a predicted grade or 
the written paper in any given subject and she went through the advantage of it and the fact that they've lost out so much in the last couple of years compared to previous Leaving Cert classes. Reading in the Irish Times this morning, the education editor there, Carol O'Brien, is writing that senior sources within the education system are saying it will be impossible to run a hybrid mix this year because the junior cert was cancelled in 2020, so there is no data from 2020 to add into a predicted grade system for people due to come around for Leaving Cert this year and that this was crucial to the standardisation process and the calculation of the grades. So the State Examination Commission, which runs the exam, have told the various education partners and stakeholders, that horrible word, that it's just not possible to run calculated or accredited grades this year. Uh, Saoirse is a Leaving Cert student uh, this year. Saoirse, good morning. That won't be good news to you. Hi, how are you? Good. Now, you're due to, to sit the Leaving Cert this year. You'd like to do the hybrid, I think, a bit like Stacey would have done yesterday. But this report this yeah. morning in the newspaper is saying that that's simply not possible. What do you think of that? Yeah, I actually saw that. Um, and I actually know Stacey as well. We're all, all the six years so far in the country, we've all created a group chat on Instagram. We've created our own Instagram as well to promote the hybrid leaving service. And to be honest, I'm not in agreeable with that statement that came out this morning. Um, the main reason why is because, you know, we missed up to three months of fifth year last year and possibly even more. Um, and we all know, like in Ireland, fifth year is the foundation and the building blocks for the Leaving Cert course. And by us missing out on those, like, you know, critical materials and all that stuff, that material cannot be covered this late into the course and, you know, this close yeah. to the leaving cert and to the actual mocks. Um, it's just, it's not, it's not doable. It's not, you know, no one can do it. Yeah. What, um, what the organisers of the State Examination Commission seems to be saying, Saoirse, and like you said, you read it, but just for listeners who mightn't have, is that when they were calculating the, the grades last year, they had people's junior cert results to go back on. And the previous year, they had junior cert results to go back on. Because you guys didn't sit a junior cert, they don't have those results to go back on. So that's a whole pile of data they don't have to access. It's hard to argue against that. It is. And I totally see where they're coming from. But, you know, we have to remember as well that, you know, students now are under such, like, stress you know, conditions, you know, by being in freezing cold classrooms or classrooms below zero degrees, you know, it's just something has to be done to either take the pressure off of us or just, you know, even as a backup, just forget all that, like have it as a backup, you know, if a student cannot sit the leaving cert because of having COVID or being a close contact, and let's say that student gets H1s constantly, you know, they're now out, you know, 100 points going into college. Yeah. What are they supposed to do then? Are they supposed to, you know, write a letter to their college that they hope to get into saying, I had COVID then, this is why my points are so low? And, you know, there's nothing in place for us if we were to get COVID or, you know, again, being a close contact. Like, it's, it's, you know, the stress then building up for the students and everyone like that. It's just, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and it's, it's 147 days to the start of the Leaving Cert, just if I 
didn't want to make you any more nervous than you are. <laughs> 147 days. And you'd like to... Uh, Stacey was saying this yesterday, I think anybody else would... And parents are saying as well. They need to tell us, or tell you guys, what they're doing for sure and tell you quickly. Yeah, exactly. Um, because, you know, the group I was talking about well ago, they, all the six years across the country... Um, We've gotten on to, you know, the ISSU, the ASTI, the TUI. We've gotten on to everyone that we can think of, even our, you know, local TDs to try and help us as well. Um, Because no one really knows what's going on. Now, I do know that I think it's it's either Sinn Féin or someone like that is either is hoping to push forward for a hybrid leaving cert, mm. which I think, you know, is finally a good idea because, unfortunately, student voice is not loud enough, you know. We have to go to the likes of these groups, like the local TDs, the ASTI, TUI, ISSU, yeah. for, in order to get our voices to be heard. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's simply, you know, not good enough. Like, we are literally screaming for something to be done about it because we are, you know, enticed us to the same ways that the previous leaving certs got for us, yeah. you know? There's that, there is that huge hurdle to jump those here where you don't have leaving cert results to put into the calculation and, and that's their problem and you, would you think maybe that school exam results, Christmas and Easter and summer exams in school I mean, the school will have records of how you did. Could they be used? What are they saying on this big Instagram group this morning? Well, um, on the Instagram group, um, they're basically, you know, promoting the hybrid um, in any way, shape or form. I know in my school, we do take, um, like, continuous assessments, like, you know, your, your overall class performance, your overall class grades. So we do have those to fall back on. Um but, you know, I guess I do see where they're coming from by, like, not sitting a junior cert and, you know, not having those grades to, you know, rely on. But that's not really, you know, that's not how we perform today. Like, those grades do not show how we perform now in a leaving search because that's the junior search. Yes. You know, like, the, the, the total state exam is totally different compared to junior search at leaving search. So that's not really a fair kind of example of how students can overall perform like you know you know you might be doing better um in the leaving cert you might be doing worse in the leaving cert so you can never really kind of tell you know which how things what like what ways things will go yeah yeah and look you know i think it's it's fair to say that when i'm talking about that big hurdle i'm not asking you or any of your friends to solve it because that's not your job your job isn't to solve it your job is to sit and do your leaving cert to the best of your ability it's the job of those who who make these decisions and do this administration it's their job to solve it exactly yeah exactly because you know like i was saying like student voice can only get us so far you know and unfortunately the likes of like you know like the t-shirt and all that stuff even though they do see us you know, promoting this, I don't think they actually fully understand what we're going through, mm. you know, in a school environment, um, you know, trying to study for the maths and the leaving cert the best that we can with so little information that we have of will it be predicted, will it not be predicted, you know, there's, I think there's even talks about that the schools were closing even before we came back to school, yeah. you know, it's just all that uncertainty and we just need some clarification on it, really. We really do. Given the way that the 
COVID crisis appears to be going, and I say appears because we don't know for sure, mm. but it's very possible given the high level of vaccination and you and your colleagues, you and your fellow students are now able to get vaccinated and I assume able to get boosted as well, that by the time leaving cert date comes around on the 8th of June, it will be, or should be at least, physically possible to sit an exam as normal. But I think what I'm hearing from you, Saoirse, and what I heard yesterday from Stacey, is that's all very well, but we haven't prepared in the normal way or been able to. Is that your argument? Yeah, exactly. Now, for myself, I am double vaccinated and I am boosted as well. And I know some of my other six-year students in my school have been double vaxxed and boosted. But, like, you know, we haven't prepared like traditional leaving certs have. You know, if you go back to, like, the 2010 leaving cert, there was no COVID then. There was no pandemic. They were able to stay in full-time school without the schools closing and having to resort to online learning. And they had, you know, they studied the traditional way. We don't have that option. We didn't have that option. You know, we were, we were in lockdown. And I guess, you know, we are now coming out of lockdown because of all the vaccinations being rolled out and the boosters. But, you know, because we haven't studied the traditional way, we had to adapt to, you know, find the best way that works for us. And I guess what the government is, this is my opinion, that the government is, you know, trying to go back to the traditional way because I guess we're starting to come out of COVID and, you know, because the lockdowns are easing and the restrictions and that I guess they're hoping to get back to some normality. But unfortunately, students can't get back to that, you know, because we've adapted for, for this way, you know, so quickly that we just don't know a normal way of studying anymore, I guess. Okay, listen, Saoirse, just like Stacey did yesterday, you make your points extremely well. Saoirse Brazil Carney, who's a Leaving Cert student, 147 days. I was a day out yesterday, I said 149. It's 147 days today till the 8th of June, which is the starting date of Leaving Cert 2022. To come back to what they say in the Irish Times this morning, that there isn't a bank of data We know how important data is in in these day and age. There isn't a bank of data from a junior cert to give to the likes of Saoirse and the likes of Stacey and their friends to add that in to calculate their grades. That data isn't there. So they're saying you can't actually do a hybrid version this year. To which their response is, look, we haven't prepared in a normal way. We haven't been able to. So, ball in your court. We'll do the exam. It's not our job to figure out how to do the exam. It's your job to figure out how we do it. I wonder what people think. Good morning to the boys and girls on the proc who who said yesterday that they don't agree with me uh, when I say that the whole family is doing the Leaving Cert. Well, I would stay my or say my friends or suggest... You haven't had a leaving cert in the family in recent years, if you don't believe that. And I doubt there's a parent listening to me. And it's a few years since there was a leaving cert done in my house. But I doubt there's a parent listening to me this morning who would disagree with me when I say that the leaving cert, yeah, the students got the pressure, the students got the learning, the students got the study, the students got to do the exam when it comes. But the whole house is doing the leaving cert. It affects the whole house. So, again, for a third year in a row, we've thousands of houses 
wondering what's going to happen on the 8th of June. 0818-969696. I see something else in the newspaper this morning and indeed on the radio news and coming through from Cabinet, we hope, later on. Something that, to me and many I know, many people I know and many people I've had the privilege of working with over the last 20 years since I got involved at the very edges of the adoption rights advocacy thing. Birth Information and Tracing Bill is to come through giving adopted people the right to see their original birth cert and learn the identity of their birth parents. This is due to be approved by the Cabinet today and published later this week. And I can remember a time, and many people I know can remember a time, when the only way you could get your original birth cert, if you were an adopted person, was to go up to Dublin to a place called Joyce House and sit down with a huge book three or four or five inches thick. And whatever little scrap of information you had, maybe your birth date, maybe your mother's maiden, something, and you could find through a process of elimination your original birth cert. Sometimes it was easy, sometimes it was murderously difficult. It's all legal because it was public information, but you just couldn't, it wasn't that easy. Now you're going to have that right to get that birth cert. And of all the people who've campaigned and of all the people who have pleaded for that right for 20 years, I am so, so proud of my friends in the advocacy game and the adoption advocacy organisations. I'm so, so proud of you all for helping to bring it to this great day. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie They can call me. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. The weekend. On Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range. Including the all-electric ID3 and ID4. See newmarketvolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96FM. Not sure if you're following the uh, Novak Djokovic story. Hard to avoid it, to be quite honest, at the last few days. We all know about the court case. We all know about his being diagnosed with COVID in December. And then the day after he was diagnosed with COVID and was supposed to be isolating, he went to an award ceremony and blah, blah, blah. Now it seems, according to the Telegraph, anyway, the Daily Telegraph's sports department, the federal government in Oz is preparing a case to kick him out. If we hear any more from that, certainly bring it to you. But staying with the Leaving Cert, Max is in West Cork. A student, I think, Max, at Skull Community College. Is that it? Good morning. Yes, hello, good morning. Hi. How's it going? How do you feel about it? It's this report this morning in the Irish Times that there just isn't a way, the data isn't there to do the hybrid version this year. How do you react to that? Well, like, the thing is, we, we actually did do our junior search in 2019, so we do have that data. So the data is there. And, like, the exams from last summer 
and the continuous, like all the teachers in my school have been doing continuous exams. So, like, there is plenty of data that they can use from that for uh, a hybrid research and continuous assess- assessment. Yeah. Why as a student, and we've spoken to previous students, spoken yeah. there a while ago to Searsha and spoke yesterday to, to Stacey, both of whom made the case very well. Max, why do you think it's important to have the hybrid option? Um, because we missed like half of fifth year, even though there was online learning. Um, normally only half of the students stood up uh, for the classes. And it was very difficult online learning because it was difficult to take in information and the connection wasn't good and it was very difficult to follow. So so we basically missed half of fifth year. Yeah. And like that, that's a good reason to have calculated grades. Yeah. And also... Um, and some students that I know of are not going to school, like six-year students, because they might have a parent at home or grandparent or person who's who's vulnerable. Yeah. And if they brought COVID from school to the house, um, the person could po- probably die from COVID. Yeah. So there is people not going to school, and uh, the the minister has to think about them. Yeah. And also, students' uh, mental health is the main issue. And like s- students are, I think, savvy becoming suicidal. If you if you don't get the hybrid leaving source, you know, yeah. because and like in general, the traditional leaving source in time has to be done away with it, um, because it's just it's too old fashioned, it's out of date. Yeah. Uh, the point system is broken; it, it needs to be scrapped, completely reformed, and like you know, uh, it's just very difficult to to become a nurse or a doctor. You know, it should be made easier. So like what I'm saying is. Uh, after the Leaving Cert, they should scrap the Leaving Cert, do uh, a completely new system, kind of, kind of like England, where they finish school at 16, they do the GCSEs, mm. and they, they only choose like three or four subjects, and like that system is a lot better, and it, and it works well. Mm. Um, so, you know, like I think mm. that's that's the idea. Yeah, young people like yourself, you, you really are thinking hard about this at, at the moment, yeah. and I know that... When I say 147 days, it probably makes people more nervous than they should be. And I'm sorry for doing that, but I'm just I'm, yeah. I'm trying to emphasize the fact that like decisions are needed and needed quickly. Yeah, very quickly. Like, um, so yeah, like very very quickly. And I've been on to to TDs. In fairness, uh, government TDs, four Finnegan TDs. Um, it would be Neil Richmond, Jennifer Carmine Neil, uh, Regina Doherty, and they all support a high believing source. Yeah. They told me they've written to the minister to support our research. So clearly, the government backbenchers, TDs, they, they support it. But the issue is the people in charge, like Michal Martin, Leo Walker, and Norma Foley, don't support it. And that's the issue, you know. You are, finally, Max, briefly, you are challenging yeah. some very senior people to debate this issue with you. Yes. Uh, I'm calling for me to have a debate with Norma Foley, Leo Varkar, Michal Martin, or uh, a TD in government, and someone from a teachers' union about the hybrid resource, and, okay. and, and I think that's fair, you know, for them mm. to hear the student voices. Well, you know but, what? If, yeah. if, if any one of them, and I'll say it here and now, if any one of them are willing to do it, then we yeah. will facilitate it on this programme. Thank you very much. Yeah. Max, thank Thanks. you for your call, and good luck when it comes around, mate. Maybe we'll talk again. But yeah, if anybody wants to take up Max's um, Max's challenge to a debate then we'll facilitate it certainly on this programme. Now Max also mentioned some people are struggling with their
mental health, uh, if you need support, there are places you can go, people to whom you can talk. 116-11-123 is the Samaritan's number. 116-123 or indeed contact your GP. Uh, Fianna Fáil TD and teacher himself, of course, we've discussed this. Paddy O'Sullivan. Paddy, you're listening to Max. Are you quite... Are you um, supportive of of what he's saying? Good morning. Hi, PJ. Morning. Um, well, I haven't actually been listening, no, PJ. But I, I believe you're, you're talking about the Leaving Cert and right. the hybrid model again. Yeah, that's right. So, we just had a young man, Max O'Mahony, uh, who's uh, leaving Cert in school, and we had two very impressive young women yesterday and today. They want the hybrid model, and they feel that there has to be some way about doing it. And Max is challenging uh, any TD or any senior official that wishes to debate it to debate it on this programme Yeah well I suppose from my own perspective and I've already said this publicly that I do believe that the hybrid approach as, as per last year is the preferred option for myself this this year going forward as well so I state that on the record and it's for a variety of reasons really obviously the impact you know, of, of missing days in school yeah. the, the, the issue of teacher shortages obviously and specifically trying to get substitutes for specific subjects it has always been an issue with getting teachers for home ec, uh, sciences and maths and, and subjects like that. And obviously during the pandemic, because substitutes are in such short supply, it's been just as hard, if not harder than any other year to trying to get those teachers for those subjects to cover. And I suppose fundamentally of all now we have um, issues of, you know, many students we face in the prospect of their first formal exam being that's that, right. you know, that's no right. junior cert the last yeah. two years. Yeah, that's so. right. That's right. I'd be broadly supportive of it, to be honest, you know. So, okay. All right. All right, listen, Paddy, thank you very much. We may come back to this. In fact, I'm very sure we will come back to this because the students of Ireland, at least the ones speaking to me, and if any student is listening who's opposed to the hybrid and just wants to sit a regular exam, I'd love to hear from you. But the students definitely need, are definitely looking for a hybrid model. Again, if anybody is just feeling in a, in a dark place because of all this pressure... Uh, the Samaritans, 116123. Call your GP or indeed call Pieta, 1-800-247-247. That, that may have changed with the 0818 stuff. We'll check that. But please do reach out and talk to someone if you're in that dark corner. Now, we're talking about Adam Higgins was on earlier on talking about the uh, close contact rules changing. Remember, if you have had all your vaccinations, including your booster, and you're at close contact, but obviously no symptoms, then you can just get on about your business. Uh, they are asking you to take some antigen tests in between, but you can get on about your business. If you are not fully vaccinated, or indeed not vaccinated at all, and you're at close contact, then you have to isolate yourself for for seven days. Um, but of course, when you are isolated, you've got to stay home from work. And we got this email in, just wondering if you could throw out a message about the current issue half the country's having with illness benefit payment not being paid even though certs are being put through I was due to buy my Christmas presents the week before Christmas, I wasn't paid, so I went without Christmas presents for my family and three years later or three weeks later rather, still haven't been paid. People on Facebook are saying they haven't been paid within the last eight weeks and they're still waiting it's a disgrace, and it'd be great to hear someone give me a reason for what's causing that issue. I've no money now to pay my loans, I'm going into debt, 
I have no money even for food. I'm very stressed out. Thanks for taking the time to read this. Now, he doesn't refer as to whether it's to do with sick benefit or having to isolate or anything like that. But let's catch up on that and the law in general from Keena Kenny, who is Employment uh, Law Specialist with Common Kelleher Tobin. Keena, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Good to speak with you. Just focus in on the isolation issue for now. If I'm supposed to isolate for seven days and I can't go to work, have I any entitlement to pay? You you may have entitlement to pay from your employer depending on your employer's scheme. So it depends on what exactly your contract of employment says and what exactly your employer's you know, handbook or policy around sick leave or absence from work. So, but if you're not sick, you don't, you don't apply, you know, Um, and that's the difficulty. But what if you're not sick, but you have to stay at home because the HSC have designated you as a close contact or at risk person and you you either have to self-isolate, which is where you stay in your room, or restrict where you stay in your home um, and, and restrict all your movements. Are there any entitlements there for people who have to do that? There is. So there has been difficulties. And I mean, I think there's been a lot of difficulties and the rules keep changing, which doesn't help. So it's very difficult for people to even get their heads around it. What I would say is the HSC and the the HSC and the mywelfare.ie have both updated their websites now. So there's various different categories of what applies depending on why you can't go to work and what category you fit into. But since the 3rd of January of 2022, so last week essentially, there is now an enhanced illness benefit which applies to people who are absent from work confined to home where they have been told to self-isolate or restrict their movements and they cannot go to work whether or not they have COVID or not. So these might be people who don't have COVID. Okay. Um, I don't That's even thousands have symptoms of people of right now, Cleena. It is. And the difficulty and the delays no doubt are being caused, number one, by the amount of applications that the department are receiving and the fact that they themselves have absenteeism due to COVID mm. and, and or COVID restrictions. Um, so there is, it is a, it's a huge difficulty. Um, and how and much money is involved? How much writer. money will people get if, if they can get So it? you get the enhanced illness benefit is 350 euros per week. So it's actually more than the normal illness benefit. It's 350 euros per week. And you will get that for the five to 10 days, depending on which category you fit into. Have you had a booster? Have you had vaccination? Have you had no vaccination? Depending on which category you're in. But they have changed the rules. So you know the way you had to have a PCR test? Up until now, you had to have a PCR test to even apply for this. Because of the problems with the testing system, that has changed. So if you're under 40 now, you don't need a PCR test. If you've under 40, you've done your home antigen test and you've got in touch with the HSE and ordered your antigen test kit, that test kit, uh, your essentially your text from the HSE saying that you've ordered the test kit, that will be sufficient for the Department of Social Welfare okay. to accept your application for illness benefit. So just to break this down into very simple uh, mm. layman's terms, Tina, as of today, 
So this is what? This is the 12th of January. If, for example, I get a ping that I am a close contact yeah. and maybe I'm yeah. not vaccinated fully, I need mm. to stay home for a week. Uh, then yes. I can apply for this enhanced illness benefit. And illness benefit, yes. Right. If, if you are not in a position to work from home or if you are in a position where your employer is not going to pay you, yes. Okay. Um, and like that, some of this, I mean, look, there are endless arrangements that are made with employers and employees over certain things. If you've stayed home because you're a close contact or because you have a small child who is a close contact and has been pinged and therefore can't go to work, you know, there's various accommodations that are being reached with employers on a case by case basis in relation to whether or not you will get paid and work the hours up later or, you know, or that you can do some hours or you can do lesser hours or if you can do no hours whatsoever or you have a job that just can't be worked remotely, yeah. then, then you know, absolutely the enhanced illness benefit will cover you. So the ping you get, the text that says, you're a close contact, you must stay at home. That is what you submit to mywelfare.ie. And, and it's an online application. There's the there's the website, mywelfare.ie, and that's updated. Yeah. How frequently is that updated, Tina? It's in fairness, it's it, it's it's updated. It's it has the current system. I mean, we now know that the close contact rules are probably going to change today with the cabinet meeting. Um, so again, I would expect the update to happen today, tomorrow on the website. Um, but at the moment, they have the enhanced illness benefit details are all up on on the um, gov.ie and mywelfare.ie. Okay. Okay. With regards to our misfortune correspondent who mm. who got caught there before Christmas, yeah. what's bothering so them is the delay. Like the delay, that's very hard on people. It's very hard on people, and I mean it. And it has been raised a number of times um, with the minister and with with the state. I mean, I, I I suspect it is just the volume of applications that came in in December. Plus, they you know no doubt, like any employer and any state body, they're missing employees. They they have an absence issue um, due to again COVID and restriction of yeah. people um, who have been told to self isolate or self restrict. If your application is correct and you have all the information sent, you should be getting your payment. And I mean, I I looked into this last night again. And I mean, I've seen anecdotally on various platforms, some people are getting their payments within a few days. Good. Um, within seven, like within the week, um, but more people like that unfortunate emailer seems to have been delayed in the system some way. I mean, the advice at that point is try and contact the department. Now the phone lines you'll be waiting, yeah. um, but try and hang on, hang on, ringing them, try emailing them. It may be that perhaps you know your photo, your snapshot, or your photograph of the search didn't go in, or your search from your GP didn't go in properly. That there's something missing in your application, and that's what's slowing it down. But it's really up to the person themselves, unfortunately, to chase it up. Um, you know, ideally, the department should be coming back to you and telling you there's a problem with your application. But with the volume of applications, my advice would be if there's a delay, if you're getting to you know 10 days, 14 days with no payment, I'd be ringing them, I'd be emailing them to see have they got all the documents is there something missing and if there isn't um, the other option is of course I mean sometimes 
a chat, a very open chat with your employer, um, wherein maybe have a discussion with them, see if they are in a position to perhaps pay you and you refund them when your illness benefit comes back. You know, I mean, I'm not saying a lot of employers won't be in a position to do that. A lot of employers are put to the pin or their collar at the moment to try and keep the doors open um, on their businesses. But at the same time, conversations, you know, you know, your lawyer is a human too yeah. um, and employees and, you know, these things can usually be worked out with conversations okay. and discussions. Just lastly, Cleena, Kevin points out one difficulty for some people, particularly say in the entertainment industry, who are entitled to a PUP or other such payment. They need a welfare card. They can't get a card because they can't get an appointment. Uh, they're goosed. Yeah. That's that's yeah, exactly it. That, look, the the system is just very very slow at the moment and grinding to a halt. It's so difficult to try and get through the system at the moment. Right. Um, and unfortunately, now the thing is, once if you are entitled to a benefit, you'll get it. You know, mm. um, you will get it. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, like eventually. That, eventually yeah you'll get it eventually but I mean you know that's no good to people trying to put food on the table it's dreadful situation it's It's terrible situation most unfortunate All right, Fiona thank you very much for being with us on the Opinion Line Employment Law Specialist at Common Kelleher Tobin Solicitors Fiona Kelly thank you for being with us mywelfare.ie is the website you should look at and since the 3rd of January the enhanced illness benefit if you have to isolate or you can't go in, you'll get paid. That at least is a good development. Eventually, slowly, but you will get paid. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. <laughs> On Cork's 96FM. Oh, Rita, 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 Rita. I'm sorry. I, I was playing the climb by Miley Cyrus in the last hour. And I mentioned afterwards the Joe McEldery X Factor version. I heard better versions up at the top of the hill in the karaoke, I have to say. I'm a huge fan of the original Miley Cyrus. But Rita says, I was just listening to that lovely song. It made me remember the Joe McEldery version. I was saying to myself, I must buy it or download it. Because I'm always saying I'll do it. And then the next thing you rain all over us. <laughs> Sorry, Rita. I listen get it if you want to have a listen to it but for me as I said I've heard better better karaoke in the top of the hill and I was well, we were kind of Miley Cyrus fans in my house anyway because I grew up in an era of my kids grew up rather in an era of Hannah Montana so she was all over the telly every day and it was either like her or leave home <laughs> thanks Reed. listen I'm so chuffed by those of you who have remembered my birthday I'm at that stage in life where you don't talk about them anymore um, but thank you you're also nice I'm not going to read them out because I would be only putting myself over the big pedestal for someone to shoot me down like the fellas in the proc who would rightly bring me to order but thank you you are so lovely and so kind what am I going to do today I'm actually going over to my mammy's for bacon and cabbage this evening and looking forward to it myself and the boy are going over for mammy's bacon and cabbage the simple things you know 
but thanks. On the leaving certs and Max, and I have loads of comments on leaving certs, which I'll get to at some point. D says, what a great young man Max is, an asset to his peers, speaking about it, mental health, and so importantly, writing to those who are paid to speak and make a decision. They really do need to listen to Max, a young voice dealing with challenges that'll make the history books good on him and refreshing to hear him. Yes, and refreshing to hear so many of our young leaving certs so articulate and so clear and so solid in their convictions about what they want for themselves this June. Great to hear it. Mulnahoiga August Chukig Shields, what they used to say in Irish before. Certainly these these kids are, are, are coming on strong. And if anybody is prepared to debate with Max, he said to debate with anybody in authority about why there has to be a hybrid. We'll set it up and we'll facilitate it here on the opinion line and very happy to do so. On sick pay, talking to people or about people's rights with regard to sick pay and being paid if you have to isolate, even if you've no symptoms and there's nothing wrong with you. If you have to isolate, what are your entitlements? Talking to Kina Kenny, uh, employment law solicitor. We got this uh, on WhatsApp voice note from Paul about sick pay. PJ, people are having trouble at the moment claiming uh, social welfare for COVID. I what it's going to be like next week when all they need is an antigen and they won't have any proof from the Department of the Health that they've gotten it. So it'll be nigh on po- in- impossible for them to get anything off them. Yeah, Paul's making that point. The system is slow as it is and it's going to grind to a creaking halt. That's the fear anyway from next week on. If you want to send us a quick message like Paul just did, the 083 396 96 96 is the WhatsApp number. Of course, our new phone number, getting used to it at last. Thanks be to goodness. 0818 96 96 96. Do you remember last year? It was around April time in 2021. I was talking about a story here that I thought was the weirdest story I'd heard. This is about Leitrim County Council and going back to uh, the newspapers of the time who Leitrim County Council was planning to collect samples of dog poo and test it for DNA to help identify people who fail to bring up their dog waste. They were taking samples in areas with high levels of dog fouling and they'd be matched with saliva samples taken from the dogs. If you didn't cooperate with the dog warden, with the doggy please lick the stick, <laughs> or something like that, if you didn't cooperate with the dog warden, then you could be fined and be issued with a statutory notice under the Animal Health and Welfare Act. At the time, we thought it was funny and bizarre. We also reminded you at the time that we have a dog fouling committee in Cork City Council. As I've said before, a committee officially paid to talk. A member of that committee is Councillor Ted Tyner. Ted, good morning. Morning, PJ. I know, you t- I know you take that tongue-in-cheek as it's intended. But <laughs> it's you're looking at the example set by Leitrim. Has it worked for them? I'm not aware of whether it has worked or not, but I don't know. It, it, it sounds a bit um, over the top a bit, is it? Uh, DNA, there's a cost involved as well, you know. Mm. And But I I think today, anyway, there's been a lot of publicity campaign by Cox City Council to, in relation to dog um, fouling, you know, dog poo. And 
like it is a dangerous and uh, then then there is a danger connected to to dog poo um I'm not too sure what they call the virus now, but it it could lead Toxic to blindness. Toxicaracanus. All oh, right, thanks. There you go. Yeah, it leads to uh, blindness you know, in a person. But yeah. I, I, I think what what the council should be doing is in increase the publicity campaign and appeal to um, people's civic mindness. You yeah. know that it's their civic duty to clean up after their dog. Mm. And but indeed, it has been discussed. Though. Councillor Joe Kavanagh, I think, raised it, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, it's. Yeah, yeah, it's different councillors and different Lord Mayors have been on it for years. But I noticed lately, you know, a couple of black spots in Mayfield that has improved greatly. One is quite uh, 100 metres from my own front door, where the dogs used to, for some reason, on the corner, as you turn left, there was a, a, a gathering of dog fouling there, you know. So, But that has improved greatly. And I actually observed a, pers- um, uh, a, a guy... Um, down near the Glen Park, Glen River Park, on 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 the road, and he was cleaning up after his dog. And I just expressed thanks for that. Well done, and it made him feel good then about it. You know, mm. so I think if you observe somebody cleaning up after their dog, just express a thank you, well done, and it kind of rubs off them because when a person is thanked for being civic-minded like that, then they will continue doing it then, you know. Yeah. So. I'll, be, I'll be talking later to someone about about training dogs, and particularly puppies that people might have acquired yeah. over the last few yeah. weeks. Like, in terms of providing simple things like bags and, and the appropriate kind of bin, yeah. has the council yeah. improved that supply? Um, the bins, there's a couple of extra bins gone in, all right, and I, I noticed one or two new ones down the Glen River Park. There's... Um, two or three gone into the Mayfield area up by the tank field now and incidentally the tank field is 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 a black spot at the moment people seem to come there um, with their dogs in their cars and park up and walk around the area and when the dog gets out of the car they'll head straight for um, to relieve themselves you know yeah. and I also noticed then in the Glen River Park at the, at the top of the um, then the wheelchair ramp that runs into the Glen Park from the Ballyhooly Road. Near the top of that, you will always find plenty of dog poo, and apparently it's when the dogs get out of the car that they'll head to um, to relieve themselves, you know. And I, I, I think um, little mounds of gravel in certain areas like that where the black spots are, like the tank field, you know, um, by the Frank O'Connor Library is another location where you're inclined to pick up dog poo in the Lane River Park, where the car park is, yeah. you know, that um, amount of gravel that the, the dogs will are attracted to us and they they seem to head for areas where there's earth and grass, you know. Yes, so, yes, and they head, they head for places where they can smell it as well, yeah, where they can smell yeah, yeah. it. Some people are still finishing yeah, their breakfast yeah. dead. Let's not overdo it for them. But, but at yeah. the same time, dogs know where dogs go. So, an, an old doggy person said that yeah. dogs know where dogs go. Where dogs go. That's good, yeah, that's right. Because you you will see, like the corner now, on the, near Silver Heights and the Silver I'm living, like that corner was a regular, but lately it seems to be um, free of any dog poo. And I think that's because people with their dogs are now beginning to get um, a little bit responsible about it. And, well, Chris, uh, you would hope they are. They, 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 they yeah. pick them up and put them into a bag. And a tip, if anybody's wondering, 
uh, you don't actually have to go and buy dog poo bags in a pet shop. Nappy bags yeah. are, are they're as cheap as chips and, and of course they're biodegradable and all that. Yeah. And you can buy them in, in any chemist or sometimes in supermarkets and they're yeah. cheapest chips and they're perfectly fine as well. Yeah, I, I've seen people use these biodegradable bags and they put their hand into it like a glove and they pick That's up right. the, the fowl and secure it and if there's a bin nearby they'll dislodge yeah. into the bin, you know. But you so, don't you don't see DNA testing being a thing anytime soon, do you Ted? <laughs> I don't know. I, I I worry about the cost and how effective will it be, you know. But <laughs> I, I'm just thinking as well, right? You know these little small bro dogs of no particular breed whatsoever. Yeah. And they're bigger on the inside. We don't have to draw on pictures. Can you imagine going up to one of the owners there? Come here, would you ever get the dog to lick the stick there? <laughs> no. <laughs> It's not going to happen, like. I think, like, the dog warden is, 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 is another solution as well. I remember the dog warden, uh, it was an issue down in Ashmount, behind where I'm living, down the Ashmount Mews, and the dogs seemed to gather down at the very end in this spot, and the place was pretty bad. Yeah. The dog warden patrolled the area regularly for a while, spoke to people and all that, and it had a great effect, you know, yeah. and it's... It's reasonably clean on. I was only down there yesterday mm. evening as well, you know. It, so, it, it tends, it tends yeah. to move around. And at this time yeah. of the year, it's worse than ever because the ground is so damp. Anyway, Ted, thank you. Ted Tynan, Councillor Ted Tynan, member of the Dog Fowling Committee of Cork City Council, where they are considering this idea. But it's not actually going to happen just yet. I wonder how it did for them in, in Leitrim. <laughs> Someone said here, I actually saw somebody standing beside his dog while the dog was doing its business on a footpath. When the man saw me, <laughs> he turned around to the dog and he goes, Yeah, effing Egypt! <laughs> Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Couple of comments on isolation and antigen testing and all this. It can't be policed, says this call. It's a green light for many employers to strong arm and just ignore. And it's adding to confusion. Would be just more honest to dump the whole lot. Same difference. Quick observation, if you no longer have to have a positive PCR to isolate and a positive antigen will do, is this not opening the door to more people to abuse the system, to take time off and put more pressure on the business and their absence rates? Well, you have to show the HSE your antigen test. Uh, and presumably they, they will check whether it's... I don't know, but I see your point. Antigens are very fast delivery as well, says this message, usually the next day, because Adam, Adam Higgins was pointing out earlier on there's a turnover time between if I do a positive antigen today, I upload my details to the HSE, when do I get my set of tests? And this message says they come sometimes as quickly as the next day, which is, which is good to hear. Uh, be careful on the isolation, on the payment as well. You're taxed on it. It'll be taken off you when you go back to work. You could get double taxed that week. Uh, also, that enhanced illness benefit's been in place since May 2020 and payable for up to 14 days. That's from Olga at the Immigrant Advice Bureau. Thanks, Olga. I was a little confused, but I thought it was there since day one, but a lot of people had trouble getting it if they were just isolating and weren't actually sick. That was the problem. If you were isolating and became symptomatic and got sick, 
then that's fine. But if you weren't isolating just because you were a close contact and didn't get any symptoms and didn't get sick, I don't think you could get that money. And that, I think, is what, um, is it Kena was saying from Conway Kelleher, Tobin, that, uh, yeah, uh, the solicitor was saying that uh, that's changed now since January. But it's all changing all the time, but thank you. 0818 I want to talk in a minute about uh, deciding whether or not to have children. And is it your decision and how do you make it? And do you need help to make that decision? And I'll be talking to someone who helps people with those decisions in just a sec. But um, I imagine you mentioned this earlier on, pottering around the kitchen this morning looking for something to put into the, the bag to bring in to, to, to munch and graze on. During the day, you're looking for use-by dates, sell-by dates, best-before dates on food. And there was a story then in The Sun where Morrisons in the UK are ditching use-by dates on their own brand milk. You know, you pick up a carton of milk and it's got used by the 15th of January or 16th of January. They're encouraging people to just sniff it. <laughs> just sniff it. And if it's out of date, you'll know about it. Or put it into, oh God, it's nothing worse than putting it into your tea and comes up. They're dropping those dates. And then Master Chef uh, Gary McLean said it's a great idea. Like, what do we do before dates? Like, what do you do about dates on food in your house? Like, there's a use by date and there's a best before date. Best before date, well, is what it is. So if best before date is today, then the food doesn't turn into talking waste tomorrow. You get a few more days out of it. But if used by date is today, then I personally would use it today or dump it because if it's chicken, if it's fish, if it's pork and it's used by today or any kind of milk, creamy thing used by today, then it will possibly have turned by tomorrow. And trust me, the last thing you want to do is take fish that's turned and eat it. Another devil is watermelon. In the summer, I eat a lot of watermelon. We eat a lot of watermelon in Coogan Towers in the summer. And there's a particular little tang that you get from the taste of watermelon when it has turned. It's a good job you get it because it'll flush you out faster than Vim, I'm telling you, if you eat what. Anyway, do you take any notice of those dates? Or do you just go by instinct and go by smell? Kathy was on from the culinary Kelt on WhatsApp about this. When it comes to food and best and use by dates, I only use them as a loose guide. I don't strictly um, use them and if it's something that was over the date, I'd have no problem consuming it. I would really focus more so on storage and how my food has been stored before eating it. Yeah, best before or used by. How much attention do you pay to those dates? 0818 96, 96, 96. So do you have children or do you not have children? Anybody who's thinking about kids at the moment, uh, this will be of interest to you. I'm married a while now. And it used to be a thing that when you were married, the minute you were married, people would say, well, any news, any news, any news? And stolen, and stolen. And I'll tell you something, it was the most annoying thing. And stolen, and stolen. Because some people in this modern world of 2022 are now deciding not to have any children and they agonise about it because they I think anyway some people feel obliged to have children almost as a duty to repopulate the world and of course it's no one's duty 
to have children. Margaret O'Connor is a counsellor who works with couples or indeed with single people to help them through these decisions. Margaret, good morning. Good morning. Thanks a million for having me on. There was a time when you wouldn't even discuss this with people. It was a case of you get married or you get together and you have children mm-hmm. and that's it. It's your job. You have to do it. Yeah, Those days are gone, thankfully. Hopefully. We're, we're moving towards it a little, a little bit more. Um, and, and I think what you've said there is, is really right. I suppose the, the problem is, I know for some people they're thinking, what is there to discuss or why would you need help with this topic? And I suppose if it feels that straightforward for you, brilliant that's that's great but for a lot of people it it doesn't feel that straightforward and they feel quite isolated because they think they're the only ones who maybe are thinking oh I don't know if I want this or I'm you know worried about it or or have anxiety so it can be very isolating and and that's kind of where the the issue can come in. Mm. Is it still in 2022 a bit of a taboo for a woman to say I do not want any children? Mm Mm-hmm. It is, and suppose anecdotally that that's what I would hear. Um, it'll very much depend on your context. If you're the only one in your group of friends or in your family, um, you know, it can feel quite isolating. Um, we, we see the figures, you know, you're looking at between one in four and one in five women won't have children in their lifetime. Now, that's a combination of people who can't have children, which is a very different situation, but also people who choose not to. So, you know, it, it's a fair percentage of the population. Um, it is increasing, um, but there is still, and, and actually the research would show that there's more of a stigma around people who choose not to, um, that that can be a harder thing for other people to understand or indeed for themselves to understand. Because as you said, we have this this kind of plan, don't we? You know, you go to school, you get a job, you meet someone, you buy a house, you have kids. We might do it in a slightly different order, but that's still generally kind of the the plan for for most people and if that's not your plan it can be very hard to figure out well what do I do instead or how do I you know how do I fit in if all your your friends and family are having kids it impacts your life you know in terms of you know friends and family meeting up and occasions and the the focus of conversation and things like that so um yeah, it it can impact in lots of different ways. In in your experience, are there people out there who just simply have no interest in having children? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Um, as in, they don't hate children. It, it just is not something they're interested in. Yeah. The same as they may not be interested in lots of other things. They might love children, or they're not in children. it's just you know and that and I'm saying that I wish I didn't have to say that but that's usually kind of the the image that we have out there you know that it's it's a very negative thing for most people it's just a very neutral thing they're simply not interested the same as they're not interested in becoming a surgeon or doing a skydive or whatever the thing is they just don't want to do it so they don't do it and they focus on other things um and it's not that big of a deal to them as such um so, yeah, we've that and, and those people generally know from a quite early uh, stage in their lives. And for other people, then it's, it really is uh, a very tough decision and, and they're really uncertain and it can be influenced by lots of things happening in their life. Again, something that I, I would like to think has stopped, but I don't think it has, is the young couple that got married last year or the year before and they're two or three mm-hmm. years down the road and they're getting I think myself and going on my experience, you know, spend the first couple of years actually getting to know each other properly. Mm, and and, and yeah. then all the, and I'm sorry now to be stigmatizing <laughs> any group of people, but it's usually nanas and granddads are going, Anton Sturren, 
Antenstorren, yeah. you know. <laughs> and can, can we please stop that? Yeah, I really, I really wish we could because it's such a personal, private um, process, you know, and, and you never know what's going on with anybody, uh, whether they're thinking about it at all, whether they're trying and maybe it's not working. You know, it's such a... I said it's just such a personal thing. It's not really anybody else's business. But again, it comes back to that assumption that that's just what you're going to do. And and I mean, it's usually well intended, but it can be very, very hurtful for people who, again, are either just not interested in it at all or or maybe are trying to figure it out and, and it's not going to plan. Now, your website and your counselling service, which is completely online at the moment, I know, rkidsforme.ie. What, what kind of things do people bring to you, Margaret? Mm. So it's a mix. It would kind of almost half and half be the people who are really, really unsure um, and maybe something has triggered, you know, that they feel they have to make a decision now. And that could be age, it could be a relationship, it could be a health issue, it could be anything like that. And the other half then are people who really either already know or, or kind of have decided that, yeah, I don't want to have children. And then it's about well, kind of how do I move forward with that? And they might be okay with it, but how do I deal with other people's reactions? Yeah. Um, you know, how do I find things that are meaningful for me? Um, and, and how do I, yeah, as I said, just kind of deal with the social pressure really around it. So that's generally kind of the, the, the main focus of the work. How often does it arise? And I'll include in this same-sex couples because nowadays there are mm-hmm. same-sex couples and they can, they can have children. Um, but mm-hmm. let's say the he, she couple as it were he does want children she doesn't or she wants children he doesn't Mm. how much of that do you see yeah that that's there as well of course um and you know it's really tough i I really really sympathize with couples um who who are in different positions on this because it's a really really tough one you know they're it's very hard to compromise on um and uh something i suppose i've noticed is that couples maybe don't talk about it until quite kind of deep into into the relationship and I think that goes back to that assumption we we assume that everybody wants the same thing and that we don't need to talk about it so then it can be really tough um or is it almost how society constructs things that we don't talk about it because the the, the expectation will be there and and it only becomes an issue when the expectation is there and then you say well actually I kind of don't want to have any children yeah Oh, exactly that. Absolutely. You know, we we see it everywhere. If you look at the advertising, films, you know, all structures are really set around this kind of family friendly, family meaning parents and children um, kind of structure. Um, And the assumption is is that people will have children. And and like that, it's kind of only an issue when... Yeah. Oh, somebody chooses to do something different. So, yeah, on on the couple side, you know, it it is tough, and it and it really it really requires some really really honest communication and kind of self reflection from each cup from each person in the couple, and and then trying to figure out, um, you know, where where they. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at Blue dot com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And as a couple on it, yeah. And if someone wants to come to you, and it's all online, all your counseling is online at the moment, ourkidsforme.ie. Mm-hmm. And I have a podcast as well, just in case people are interested, because I was really interested in hearing people's stories, especially in an Irish context, because we don't have that much material. So there's a podcast as well, to if people want to find out more, maybe before or without contacting me at all. And what's the podcast called? Uh, same name, the Arkitz Ar- 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 yeah. And it's on all the various uh, platforms that take it. Margaret, thank you. Margaret O'Connor, our counsellor, specialises in dealing with people to do with the decision whether or not to have children our kids for me dot ie have we stopped that old nonsense yet though I really wish people wouldn't do it you know couple are only married six months or twelve months and starting and doing ah come on now and doing any bit of now you getting a day out stop will you stop please Okay, uh, on the sniffing of food, Tom says you should never open anything and just sniff it unless you're 100% sure you know what's in it. We were working with a young lad. He opened a tin, ended up in hospital because it was turpentine. Fair point, well made, Tom. I would hope against hope, though, that there wouldn't be turpentine in the fridge or the larder. Do you know what I mean? But I I take your point. How many people never look at those dates? Um, Or, Or... the biggest problem, the biggest fault, I think, mistake, everybody makes it, I make it, we all make it, is you put the stuff in a part of the fridge where you forget about it entirely. And then you look at it, oh God, that went out of date yesterday or went out of date today. And sometimes you take a chance and sometimes you don't. Or sometimes you end up cooking a load of meat or a load of fish because it's going to go out of date tomorrow. There you go. Paul wants to know the answer to a question. Can a person who is not vaccinated fly to England with just proof of recovery cert from the last six months? Is there anything else needed other than the cert to say they had COVID in the last six months? I'm double vaccinated and boosted myself, but I'm asking on behalf of someone that's thinking of going to the UK. That is a very good question. But I do believe, Paul, that if you have recovered from COVID... In the last six months, if you weren't vaccinated at the start and you've had COVID in the last six months, I don't think you can get vaccinated yet. And I think they will issue issue you with a cert that you have recovered. Most of this information is available on hse.ie, so it's not up to me to advise you, but I think you're best to check with hse.ie. If anyone else can answer that, 
you know where we are. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. One of Ireland's kings of satire, farmer Michael, has been on the comedy scene now for six years and has gathered a following of over 500,000 people worldwide. Tickets are on sale now for his next show at Cork Opera House taking place on Thursday, February 2nd. Access all areas. Paula Lambert Puppet Theatre presents Bosco's Garden and Hansel and Gretel for two shows coming to the Everyone Theatre on Sunday, January 30th. Tickets are now on sale from the venue's website. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or any live streaming events coming up by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to Nightlife on Lisa. On Cork's 96FM. Just on that payment that you get if you have to isolate, this one that's come in for pretty much everyone now since the 3rd of January, where if you don't have any symptoms and you're not at all sick, but you have to stay home because you're a close contact and you can apply for this enhanced payment. Just be careful, says this note. You're taxed on it. It'll be taken off when you go back to work. Uh, so you could face a tax bill. Yeah, I, do you know the guy, his name escapes me, the guy that presents that RTE show, How to Be Good with Money, uh, is it Eddie is his name, he was on with me in the very early days of the pandemic and he st- said to people, look, be careful here, if you're getting money, be it a pup or whatever you're getting, put a few quid aside, particularly if it's more than you normally have in a week, put a couple of quid aside because you could well be taxed on this. If you are, then you'll have something to give them. If you're not happy days, and I don't know if everyone listened to that advice, but it was good, solid advice, all the same. Thanks for that. Okay, oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now we've all heard it said that if someone is drinking or taking drugs or just dealing with any kind of addiction, it might be gambling, that they can't really accept help like rehab until they're ready, and that you can't actually force anybody to go into rehab or treatment against their will. That they have to be ready. And they themselves have to seize the moment, ask for help, and the help is there. I'm going to talk to a man who doesn't necessarily believe that and who believes more in an interventionist approach. Now, if you've been watching, and it's a brilliant show, and I'd love to talk to people who have been watching it, Dope Sick, which is a wonderful program. There is, it's frightening, terrifying. There is a scene in that where an intervention is staged and I would be thinking, Paul Egan, it's nothing like the kind of intervention that you stage and probably something that we do for the telly. But I'll come back to that, Paul. Interventionism in addiction. Uh, Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. There is this belief, and I'll I'll come to your own story in just a minute, but there is this belief, and, and many people that I have great respect for believe that until the person is ready themselves and asks for help, you can't help them. Okay. Uh, look, I mean, in a lot of areas of addiction, uh, the the theory will say, or the book will say exactly what you're saying. Until the person is ready, they can't listen. No, I don't accept that. Uh, 
because, uh, and I think it even leads to this whole Irishism that everything has to be lost. You have to lose, like, wife, children, jobs, or husband, or whatever, before the realisation is that it's a problem. Now, I, all, I just innately believe that why not get in before it becomes such a critical, on, on everybody, on, on the person concerned, and on, on all the family and everything. Mm. And I've seen situations where people have actually sought help, have come to me for help, because they've been pushed or cajoled or whatever by job, by spouse, by children. And, and that's fine. I, I don't really have an issue with that. But they stay because they want to stay for themselves. Because addiction by its nature, you know, I'm not sure how somebody is going to have this wakening bell and say, yeah. I need help. Now, it does happen, for sure. It does happen where people access help of their own validity, and come in early. But in a lot of cases, that is not the case. Mm. And it's okay to come for some other reason, but to stay for yourself. That's the short answer to this. Talk to me a bit about your own background, Paul. You were a publican, I believe, and you developed a, a drink problem of your own. Well, yeah, that's interesting. I suppose, yeah, okay, a lot of people would say the fact that I worked as a publican and so forth, that I was on the cold face, I'm... I'm quite sure if I worked as a car mechanic, I still would have had an issue. And really? I'm quite sure about it. Yeah, 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 I am. And uh, my situation was that I, 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 like it was in 1990, 1990, 1992, I started to look at, you know, the effects that drink was, I, I really felt that uh, I could handle it. I felt that I was ahead of, if you like, ahead of alcohol and its effects. And I felt that the negative effects uh, way outweighed the positive effects. That was my thinking in 1990. And I remember going through various strategies to kind of cut down, to chain, and, and, and none of them were working. So I remember thinking, look, I need, to, I, need to, I need to look at this. And I saw, because I worked with, with alcohol, I just saw it help through a, a rehabilitation centre. I, I felt that if I could get away physically for some weeks, it gave me a great start. So I, I, I initially went simply to look at the effects that alcohol was having in my life mm. uh, and, and and in that in that in that process uh, I I then I then I then very quickly realized that it was it was an addiction I had and that it was a disease and and and, and that I just needed to deal with it in, in a different way and I needed support through other people and I needed, uh, uh, I couldn't do it on my own. And uh, and that's what happened. And, 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 and Paul, and, was that a realisation of your own or, or did someone, as it were, and I get into the intervention process in a second, but did somebody intervene with you and say, Paul, we need to talk about this? Look, I'm not saying I'm special, but I'm only saying what happened in my case, and it isn't in all cases. I actually vividly remember over a period of about two years checking in with myself the effects of my alcohol was having in my life. For sure, there were issues with relationships. For sure, there was issues issues predominantly. I often describe it that my children love me, but I'm not sure that they like me. Mm. And, and all that stuff I never saw was alcohol-related. Uh, I, I, I didn't know what the issue was. Uh, and for me, uh, I, 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 there was no, no, there was nobody putting any pressure. There was nobody saying... I, 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 for some reason, started to reflect on my own thinking and how I felt. 
and, and the only commonality in all of this was alcohol was in there. And I felt if I got rid of the alcohol, I could look at the other stuff that I was having difficulty with. But I couldn't look at, and that, i.e. relationships, i.e. my work, i.e. how I felt about myself, i.e. when everybody else told me I was amazing, that I really didn't feel that great. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and without alcohol, it gave me the freedom to look at all of that stuff. And, and, and I just could not believe that mm. all that stuff I thought was there and I drank because it was there. I couldn't believe the realisation that uh, it, it was there predominantly because I drank. I had the cart before the horse. Yeah, I read an and, article, uh, about, I, I, I read an article yeah, about an intervention. Yeah. And was it from that that you learned the intervention or learned the benefit of intervention? Because I mentioned in the introduction there, we see them staged on the television. But in reality, they're nothing okay. like that. No, not at all. I, I, I actually, obviously, I actually, the centre I went to was Rutland Centre. And then I came back into the work uh, and the family atmosphere. And I re-engaged with life after six weeks. And, and they then asked me, would I like to come back in and, and, and facilitate people who had gone through the centre in recovery from addiction and yet partaking in life, particularly with their partners or have you. And I, I love that whole aspect that. It's not a case that you're going to be sitting at home with worrying beads. You've got to get out there, engage in life. Uh, I thought that I lived a very dull life, if you like. Mm. I thought I was in the fast lane. I didn't see this other life that was there without alcohol. And uh, and lucky enough, I had probably about seven or eight months not drinking and I realised, hang on, I've never experienced this life. I've, I've never seen it. And I really enjoyed it more than I thought. Now, that was the big bonus for me. So I, I then worked on a voluntary basis as a facilitator with Rutland. And then they, they encouraged me to go and study. And I, I went to college in Dublin. I, I, I graduated in Trinity in addiction studies. Yeah. And, 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 and I kind of had this thing, PJ. Then I decided I'd go on and, and do mediation because and oftentimes you, you need to mediate, we'll say, situations within a family uh, because addiction you know, affects all the family. So I, I studied mediation and I went up and, 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 and I spent four years in Queens and I graduated in a master's in mediation. I'm, I'm saying this because with my own experience and with the education, I felt I had something to bring there. Uh, and I love this whole concept about intervening before it gets too serious. It's yeah. serious enough. I believe in this innately. And, and what you see in television and all that is really television drama. For me, I'm, and, and, and I work with, a, with another therapist in, in relation to interventions and a guy called Nick Axel, and we both would be, we'd be person-centered. We'd be very much respectful of the person. And we, 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 don't, we don't engage in confrontational methods. We, can, we really engage in, in, in methods that are just based around love, that's based around care. And we understand that relationships are quite fragile in that dynamic. Yes. And, 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 and they're very easy to, to create further uh, damage to relationships. So yeah, we, we I, I was thinking very, that based on just yeah. watching the television model, as it were, which yeah. of course is fictionalised. Like if you're, already, yeah. if you're already in trouble with your family relationships and an interventionist stage, so that could wreck them, that could wreck them forever. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and usually our intervention is, and particularly now with the pandemic, uh, we engage 
with every member of the family. The person, uh, uh, we'll say, affected with, with the substance or alcohol uh, is not in the picture initially. We engage with, with the family and the concerned people as a group. And, and Zoom is a great facility to allow us to do this because we can, we can create meetings quite quickly and it's not difficult for people don't have to travel. So then what we do is, then we, we, we speak with all of that group individually. Then obviously we consult with each other and we come up with about three or four proposals. What is the best next step in relation to getting this person who has issues around uh, substance or addiction into a recovery into recovery mode. We then come back with the group and we discuss the methods that, 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 that we've considered and we make a decision. We, we don't, I, I, I've done interventions and like the book says then, you create a situation where you bring the family in. It's almost a shaming process. I don't actually engage that way. I don't support that way. I, I, I've, I've been I've involved the family after I've talked to the, the person concerned. I've involved, and, and if they're comfortable, if they're comfortable that their mom and dad or whatever, our brothers and sisters come in and we, we, we have a discussion. You, and you, if, you offer them an opportunity, as it were. Oh, to, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Now, in that scenario, provided it's minded and provided it's done in a proper profession and a safe place, it can be a great precursor to somebody going into treatment. Because sure. if you like, we can have somebody really going into treatment and really well prepared to get the benefits from, we'll say, residential treatment from day one. Sure. Because it does take about 10 days to actually, for somebody to actually just realize what's happening, where they are. Yeah. So I like that aspect of the intervention process where everybody's involved. Sure. Because it allows the process, if you like, get bedded in before before actually, before uh, re, before rehabilitation is actually engaged, it's it's, it's but, a careful it's a carefully considered and thought out process. Paul, if somebody wants to contact you or or get in touch with you, if they're worried about somebody, can they do that? Absolutely. I mean, I've no issue around that, and uh, I've no issue. You know, talk, which happens a lot, talking through some because. It's a big, it's a big move, you know, for somebody. And I mean, I always, I mean, people always ask me the question, what do I say and what do I do? I do. Look, I, 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 I'm always a believer. If, if you're speaking to somebody who has, who has this disease, who has this condition, it's, I think it's okay to tell them that you're concerned. I think it's okay to tell them you love them. I think it's okay to tell them that it's just out of a care process. And I think it's very important that you're upfront and say what you've done, you've rang somebody, you've talked to somebody. I, I think it's very important not to, if you like, manufacture stuff. Just say how you feel to the sure. person. Is there an email? And, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a little pushed oh, for time, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Is there an yeah, email okay. yeah, yeah. or, Look, or a website? Me, yeah, my website is paulegan.ie. Uh, Paul That's it's very simple. All right. Really appreciate your time. We, we might talk again because we talk a lot about addiction and the treatment of it on this programme and we might come back to you at some time soon, Paul. But fascinating insight into your work as an interventionist. Another way to deal with addiction. Thank you, Paul Egan. Quickly, how would you like a grand in your hand? Just go on to the Insta and sign up with us. Follow us. Follow the Corks 96 FM Instagram page and then tag all your friends and share the tag, share the post, and then sometime in January we will top up somebody's bank account by €1,000 just to say thanks, Happy New Year, 
And thanks for following Cork's 96FM on the gram. That's coming uh, this time, or sometime, this month. 0818 96 96 96. Story in the paper this week's the multi-million euro upgrade of the Carrick Tool to Middleton Road has been shelved due to a lack of funding. This is news coming down from Transport Infrastructure Ireland, which says it simply doesn't have the money to do what people want in that part of the world. Uh, Councillor Anthony Barry of Fine Gael from the Cove Electoral Area. Anthony, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? What What is needed on that road? Well, I think, PJ, anyone would realise that road was designed in 1968. Uh, it was opened then. It has received no upgrades since then. Anyone that travels that road would realise that the the, the amount of traffic that's travelling on that now since 1968 is absolutely phenomenally apt, increasing to a, a level that it would surpass most motorways in the country at this stage, but yet it's, it, you know, no upgrade has, has happened on that. So you have residential access, you have agricultural access and egress onto it, you've got uh, medians where people can turn and cross it, um, and it's just, you know, you can talk to the Gardaí you can talk to the, the forest services. Um, it's, it's lethal. Uh, at this stage, you know. And TII has simply said, sorry lads, we don't have the money. Have they had to do that anywhere else? Yeah, it has happened in a few and I'm not so sure, sure it's it's got to do purely with financial. Uh, I do know that the Minister for Transport uh, would be a great supporter of road development anyway. And I know that there has been issues around the Castle Martyr, uh Relief Road as you've uh, covered before. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is an important uh, I suppose, avenue of connection between Cork and Waterford. Uh, it also is part of Cork that has a huge potential for development. Um, yeah. We know the railway line is there, but I mean, it's going to bring an enormous amount of traffic if you bring the residential development that's planned for yes. this Cork region. The amount of commuting and, and Water Rock and Carrick Tool. And industrial development. I mean, the idea of a huge block there, the former Amgen site, which, to my mind, cannot be developed unless there is proper access onto the N25, and that is not there at the moment. Yeah, you've said this is a slap in the face for Cork. What happens next, Anthony? I mean, your party are in government. I know the Minister for Transport is a member of the Green Party, but your party is in government. What happens next? Oh, well, I think we have to levy, levy, uh, put serious pressure on. Um, we have got three of the main ministers in government um, here in Cork. Um, if we want Cork to develop as an alternative to Dublin, and there's a lot of lip service being given that that is needed, we need to go out and, and start showing by putting the money up, getting the infrastructure in place, and delivering on the projects that are needed to deliver to make Cork an alternative to Dublin, and not just give it lip service. So you're calling on the Taoiseach and Minister McGrath and Minister Coveney to, 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 to try and get this looked at again? Most definitely. I mean, if you're going to... We, we spent many hours... Uh, and I think over 60 meetings on the county development plan. And the area around Water Rock, Carrick Tool, that entire region, is predicated upon this development going ahead. So we're wasting our time putting a county development plan in place if the infrastructure that's necessary to be put in there by central government isn't put in place. Okay, I'll leave it there for today. I've no doubt it's something we'll speak about again. Councillor Anthony Barry from the Cove Electoral Area. That road, Carrick Tool to Middleton, not now set for the upgrade that people like Councillor Barry and indeed the Chamber of Commerce and others say is badly needed. It's one I'm sure we'll return to during 2022. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. See MIG.ie.
lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 969696. 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Oh, you're in good form this fine, beautiful, sunny morning. And Alan at Carla Weather was predicting last evening, put some charts on weather forecasting for the next 8 to 10 days and it looks like there's not a lot of wet stuff coming, if any for at least 5 or 6 days which is great, really great, lovely, lovely crisp January weather a bit of winter, came out this morning had totally not expected to find the window frozen on the car and was very pleasantly surprised to find that it was I love this kind of weather. 0818 96 96 96 on best before dates and used by dates and sniff tests and and all of that. Sniff tests and all these, yeah, sniff tests. I don't know about that. I heard on the TV about the milk. I looked yesterday morning and realized mine was two days out of date, but it was fine. Yeah, you can, you can go either way with milk. We use, we moved over as a family and 90% of the milk we use at home now is lactose free not because of any strange thing just the boy is we, we like to limit his lactose intake and lactose free milk is now perfectly acceptable it's lovely it tastes the very same but it, I, I don't know whether it's me maybe it is I think lactose free milk you'll get another day or two out of it in the fridge than you would out of regular milk I still haven't talked about sniffing it, though. (laughs) Uh, Hi, PJ. There's a woman who lives with me who calls herself my wife. (laughs) She checks the dates on everything. The shopping bill would be minimal if this was to come in. (laughs) I must also check the marriage search in case there's a use-by date on it. (laughs) I won't read out your name. You haven't given your name. I'll bet. Morris... I'll read it, Morris, but... The country's government has done everything possible to promote alcohol, which is now profusely available. Off-licenses are a dime a dozen. Entire aisles of supermarkets are now taken up with wines, beers and spirits where food used to be previously. Even the local small shop can apply for a license to sell alcohol, and many of them are going down that road. Alcohol is a gateway drug to illegal drugs, and it also got a hold of many people in this country. No matter how bad the accounts are of people who've told their stories, people never seem to learn. One has to wonder if human beings are even intelligent. Morris, the proliferation of... I, mean, I tell you one thing that's going to happen. And I was talking to a pal of mine last night who works in retail and in wholesale. And he said, you're going to see off-licenses closing down up and down the country, particularly north of Dublin. You're going to see loads of off-licenses closing down because of this minimum user pricing or unit pricing, which is going to do nothing for alcoholics or people with an alcohol problem. Because people with an alcohol problem, if they're spending more money on drink, all that's going to happen, they'll spend more money on drink and their children will go hungry. But Morris, you seem to have a big problem with alcohol anyway in general, I'd suggest. 
and you're entitled to that. But we've got the most, we've now got some of the most expensive alcohol in Europe. You know, and they tried pricing cigarettes out of existence and they didn't do that either. However, uh, lots more. Oh, on dog poo. PJ Tremor Road is a disgrace. No consideration for people who might be disabled or using walking aids, etc. People walking their dogs after dark, just leaving it there. Drives me mad. And loads more on the Leaving Search, which I will come back to. Yeah, okay. Let me go to uh, food and our relationship with food. Read a very interesting article in The Echo, which starts off by saying, you have just eaten well all day and had a good dinner. You're full, but you're not satisfied. You want something more. The plans start formulating in your mind about what you're going to get and how you're going to get it. As you tidy up after your dinner, you smuggle a few biscuits into your pocket and when you get a moment of privacy, you secretly sneak them into your mouth. You're ashamed to eat openly because you think the amount you want to eat isn't socially acceptable. When the biscuits are gone, you go to the cupboard with a teaspoon and start eating mouthfuls of Nutella from the jar. Then you start on the box of celebrations. I would suggest at that point, Fawn Fawn Clark, one has a problem with food. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Good morning. Yeah, that's a very very descriptive opening. I mean, I I (laughs) straight away, I'm the kind of person who who, I do have the couple of biscuits at night that I know I shouldn't have, but I'm streets and yards behind that. That, that's a, that's an unhealthy relation, particularly if you're hiding the biscuits. Yeah, it is. And I think, um, you know, that's what comes from, um, um, I suppose, well, from my own experiences, you know, dieting and then, um, I, you know, most diets come from, you know, this feeling of um, lack, I'm not enough. They don't last because it's all about willpower. And inevitably, the diet fails, and we go back to eating, or, or and, and usually a binge eating, because it's a sort of a rebound from the restriction of a diet. And then there comes this shame of the amount that we want to eat, and maybe it's more of a female thing. <clears throat> Probably is most of my clients are female, um, but that um, the shame and the secrecy, and um, then feeds it, and it just escalates, you know. Um, but it, in in a way, it's it's you know that it's the that's the addictive eating, the addictive nature of food, yeah. and um and the thing about food though, PJ, is that you have to eat. So somehow it's not like you can just put it down. So you need to build a relationship with food, and um and any form of sort of restriction or denial or um um you know willing yourself to eat less than you need to is just going to cause that rebound of wanting to eat in an out-of-control way. That's a point that's been made before. Like, one does not have to drink. One does not have to take drugs. One does not have to gamble, but one must eat. So that's a very difficult situation when, by the sounds of this description in your own past, did you, well, would you describe well, yourself as a food addict? Well, definitely. You know, like... Um, you know, I suppose I, I don't really want to use labels that turn people off, but I definitely had a problem with food. And if you want to call that food addiction or whatever, I don't mind. It, yeah. you know, in my mind, it definitely was a food addiction, but I think some people are sort of terrified by the word addiction. Um, um, 
sorry, I've lost, I've lost my train okay. of thought there. You're okay. Because now, yeah. now, now you've turned it all around and you're a nutritional therapist. Um, so yeah. how do you get from there to here? Yeah, okay. Well, I think the first thing is to realise that that way of eating isn't working and accepting that um, this isn't sustainable, you know, and that the idea of using food in that way, like ultimately when, when, when we eat in that sort of way, we're looking for comfort from food. And, um, you know, we start by say it, it all starts with thinking that we're not okay as we are. So we go on a diet and then that diet, we can't, we can't maintain. So then we overeat. And then that further compounds the idea that we're just not okay as we are, you know, and that comes from, you know, culture. It comes from, you know, society telling us that we're not. And, and it's not just that. It's our own sort of insecurities, um, you know, that most of us have that, you know, this fundamental feeling that we're not OK. So so how did I get from there to here? The first thing was that I had to accept that I had, I had, I had a problem with food and the way I was eating wasn't working. And then I had to, um, I suppose, get it get inquisitive about my relationship with food what worked for me what didn't work for me and you know you said because it's food it's a difficult relationship because you have to eat but that's great as well because you still get to enjoy food like i really really enjoy food mm. but it's tricky as well because you are you know you have to have that sort of awareness around you all the time you know and that once you've built up that habit there is that memory in your you know it's like um it's always there in the background. I suppose it's a bit like if you learn to play the piano, you've always got that there in your ability to play the piano somewhere. So if you've developed that habit of overeating, it's actually always there and you always have to live with it. So it's about coming to understand yourself, what works for you, what doesn't work for you, what what behaviours trigger, um, uh, you know, craving for more, um, what brings peace. And, you know, fundamentally it's about... Um, I suppose, you know, finding comfort in other ways other than eating, you know, and it's a journey. It's totally a journey and it's not an overnight matter. And it's, but it is funny enough, a a difficult relationship with, with food is actually a doorway into freedom. It's a, it, it forces us to stop and look at ourselves and slow down and go, okay, what the hell is going on with me? And, and that can be a doorway into great freedom. Mm. So it can be. It can be you you work with Helen O'Leary now. T- tell me about, a bit about Helen and how did you develop discover your food freedom? So Helen is a um, a, a psychotherapist and has worked in treatment centres, and um, she actually approached me and asked if we'd do a course together because um, I was coming from the nutrition background and she's the psychotherapy background, and um, and we we felt that you know, people needed more than just an hour consultation, which is what we offer and more of a course. So more of an intensive course. So, so discover your for freedom is a, is a course that we've offered. Um, and to give people to sort of immerse people in, in a solution to help them, um, establish new habits to help them understand what's driving them to eat, to help them see how they react to certain foods and how foods affect their brain chemistry and physiology and, so it's both a sort of a nutritional understanding of food plus a sort of psychological understanding of our relationship with food and what we're using it for and unraveling all of that. Like, so are there certain was, foods that would trigger a bad habit, for example? 
Well, sugar, for example, or, or you know, most people, if they go to binge, they don't binge on cauliflower or broccoli. You know, it's something with sugar in it, you know. And so that that triggers the reward system in our brain um, m- m- more than vegetables, say, or protein. And so, yeah, there definitely is an element of there's something in, in certain foods that triggers a craving for more. So if you eat, if anyone eats a lot of sugar, they don't really want to eat at, you know, at, at meat and meat and veg and, and spuds dinner. They, they, they're wanting something more because that won't, you know, it won't, it won't give them enough pleasure after the sweets. So definitely certain foods are more addictive than others and cause more cravings than others. Now, more details on the course can be found at your website, fawnclark.com. Who's it aimed at? Um, anyone who feels that they have an issue with food, you know. I, you know, and, and, and people can struggle, and they don't need to be nearly as bad as I was. Um, but they can just find that they're, they're really frustrated by their inability to control their, their, their eating or, you know, making many resolutions to stop overeating and not being able to achieve it or else being obsessed with diets and their weight and they're sick and tired of dieting and weight obsession and all the energy that goes into, you know, trying to stay at some number on the scales, you know, um, people who want freedom from that, that obsession. Okay. All right. More information can be had at the website, uh, com or on Instagram, fawnclark, F-A-W-N, all one word, underscore nutrition. Fawn Clark, underscore nutrition. Good luck with it, Fawn. Thank you. Uh, 0818 96 96 96. Let me just get a couple more of our leaving cert comments out of the way, Fee, because there's loads of them there. And in fairness, people were very busy in the first hour or so, and some of these got pushed down the list. So let us just see where we go. I'm surprised the government hasn't realised that the Leaving Cert class will be voters in the next election. And as usual, they're not being listened to. They haven't had a full year, some of them, since second year. Anne says, I wonder how the third level colleges have coped or what calibre of students they got in the last two years and the fallout rate in the various courses. They could tell more. Surely third level could have a say in the best way for new entrants. Leaving Cert this year did their Junior Cert in 2019. My son is in Leaving Cert in Douglas. He did his Junior Cert. It was the following year, 2020. Oh, yeah, okay. Leaving Cert students will be new voters. They should be holding the government accountable. My daughter did the Junior Cert and transition year and is due to sit the Leaving Cert this year. They're saying they can't calculate the grades because they don't have the Junior Cert results. But I wonder how many students are actually affected by this. This is what some of the people in the State Examinations Commission are saying, that they don't have a bank of junior cert results for some of this year's leaving certs, which means calculating grades isn't isn't easy. But we're hearing since 9 o'clock this morning some people who are due to sit the leaving this year who do have a bank of junior cert results that they could refer to. They're all in a heap about the exams. What is the Minister for Education doing? She's being paid to do this. She should be sorting it out. Kate says the Department of Education has had the whole year to prepare some kind of solution for this. Uh, it, this must be there must be a solution that's acceptable to everyone. Most importantly, the students. I'm just an ordinary person, but it seems to me that some of these uh, officials can't organise a bun fight in a bakery. And Kevin 
has been asking this question the last couple of days and I've yet to see anyone come up with an answer. I'm still waiting, he says, for someone to explain the downside of the hybrid model. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie what you mean? Got my eyes on a prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live With Now Stream live Premier League action With a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership Listen every Saturday Exclusively online At 96fm.ie Or download the Cork's 96fm app Cork's 96fm So did anyone get uh, Look we said it before Christmas And even when we were saying this We knew that people would still do it You know Christmas is not a time To be getting a puppy But people did. So now there's the puppy in the corner, surrounded by little mounds of its own doing and you're wondering, what the hell have I done and how on earth do I sort out this? In other words, how do I train this little beautiful but useless as in thick new addition to the house? Um, Because trust me, they are. When puppies come in, they're thick. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. They're adorable. They're a wonderful addition to the house. And you have to teach them, and you have to educate them, you have to train them. Uh, Clodagh Walsh is co-founder of Canine Connect uh, Dog Training Services here in Cork. And Clodagh, you know, we we, we were said to people before Christmas, Christmas is not a time to get a puppy. But people did, and now they're faced with the prospect of having to train that that little addition to the house, who is lovable, but thick. And I know, because I've had loads of them. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning, PJ. You know, it's a challenge, isn't it? That puppy, they're so much loved. They they add to the house the minute they set paw in the front door. But there's a lot of work in it. They absolutely do. Definitely. And particularly at Christmas time when we're busy already and don't have a whole lot of time to dedicate to a new little puppy in the home. Um, It's not the ideal time for them, but people do get them. They're a lovely present for people. Um, so that's where really a, a good qualified dog trainer would come in and help support you um, in raising a healthy, well-rounded adult dog. Because there are a number of skills that every little puppy needs to learn. Uh, one of them, the first of them, is going to the toilet in the right place. And that is the hardest thing to teach them. It's very hard. It is. Um, so when you think about it, a toilet or a bathroom is a human construct. Um, we've designed these lovely tiled and porcelain rooms um, where we like to go. Animals are not so discerning. Anything <laughs> absorbent, so your duvet, a towel, blankets, that's a good job for them. They don't mind. They'll go right there. Um, it's yep. quite a lot of effort to teach them that actually the garden is their bathroom. Yeah. 
Yeah. The, the old teaching that we had years ago from a great old uh-huh. friend of mine called John Clifford would be send the dog out in the garden and try to direct them to a particular corner of the garden and use a trigger word. And uh, the trigger word was, was busy back in the day, and I still use it. Yes. Um, but but the, it'll work. The dog will go in that corner of the garden. But the minute you turn your back, they're going to the other side of the garden. And then mm-hmm. the best bit, right, is they go out in the garden, they do all their business, and they're lovely, and they're grand, and they're and then they have kept a bit for under the un, under the, the cooker. Like, how do you get them out of that, frankly? You know? um, with puppies, honestly, where you will get most of your exercise in is toilet training. Yeah. The walks are going to be very stoppy-starty, but toilet training, you're going to be up and down every hour taking them out into the back garden because uh, they just can't hold it. Um, so you need to check in very regularly and things like after they've had a drink of water or after they've had their lunch or they've woken up from a nap. Again, you need to check. Do they need to use the bathroom? Yeah. Yeah. Some of them, the more intelligent ones, I would say, will learn to let you know. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. many typical household pets, and I include in this my beloved Cavaliers. I adore Cavaliers, but by God, they're as stupid as they come. They will never go to the door and ask to be let out. Whereas I have, I have another little dog who will. Okay, and yeah, you some give very clear signals. They'll do a lot of sniffing at the door, or they'll start doing those, you know, pee walks of circling around loads and give you a lot of warning. Others won't. They will just drop and squat. So it is up to you to be super observational and, again, just watch the time. For me, when I have puppies, I set timers every um, about 45 minutes. Really? So that I'm interrupting and taking them out to the back garden to see do they need to go. Crikey, that's harder than raising a child. At least a nappy lasts a couple of hours. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Puppies are not easy. If I I go again, I'm not getting a puppy. (laughs) (laughs) The other one besides the toilet training is... is teaching them to, to walk to a lead because again that's not oh. natural for an animal you, you have to teach Absolutely. them to walk to a lead yep um, like you said it's not natural they prefer to walk wherever their nose decides they should go um, but we prefer them to walk at heel and walk in straight lines so really there has to be a bit of give and take um, we often call it A to B walking so that's where you know you need to get down the driveway out along your path to that green open space or those bushes that they like. And that at that point, then you need to give them a bit more of the leash and allow them to do that sniffing um, and that pottering around because that's a lot more enriching to them yeah. than just pounding pavements. I must say I do feel sorry for them. I mean, my, my own two uh-huh. little dogs, I have, I have a Cavalier and I have a Cavachon. And, 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 and the Cavachon in particular loves, I mean loves, to be led off the lead, to go and explore, to sniff, pee to just nibble and nudge and play and then he's a very clever little fella he'll come straight back the minute you call him he loves that but unfortunately there's nowhere to do it yeah there isn't a a whole lot of spaces Um, however you can get long lines or or flexi leads that are very very long um, so that your dog is still actually attached to you but you can give them a lot more scope yeah, yeah. We don't, and I see it on your Instagram, we don't have dog parks. We need dog parks. Yeah, we really do. I think we need designated, safe, and ideally managed dog parks so that there's actually somebody there um, who's 
observe, trained in as observing dogs. Um, and naturally, we don't need those to be near people's homes who haven't consented to having all of Cork's dogs yeah. at their doorstep because yeah. um, that's not fair either. So the first time you put the lead on the puppy, what, would, would you do it from 12 weeks or would you do it from, would you wait? Oh, at, when they arrive in the home, eight weeks old, you're popping a collar or a harness and a lead on and getting them used to it. Um, so it can be a really lightweight one and you're just pottering around the house um, because again, like you said, it's not natural for them. They won't have worn one before. So you want to get them exposed to it very early on. Which is the most comfortable for them? The, the old way was the, in particular, the old way was the chain and you click the chain. Uh, that's gone now, isn't it? Yeah, realistically it is. Even we're moving away from collars because of um, the science that is coming out from the, the veterinary aspect of things, of how much damage it does to their necks. Yes. Um, especially for the breeds, like I, I've had King Charles too. So their eyes are, are a little bit um, more pronounced on their head and it pressing down on their neck yeah. can cause yeah. a lot of issues yeah, they, for them. You as see well a lot of them going around now in, look, in what looks like a sports bra. That, that's, that's a, that's a, <laughs> a harness, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And that is what we would be big believers in is a well-fitted um, Y-front harness is what they're called. Um, so those are the ones that come down um, the chest and give a lot of room around the shoulders so that they're comfortable for the yeah. dogs. And how do you train them to stay to your heel? Um, and stay like the, the lead should not be stretched, and they should be. You should be walking them, not the other way around. So how do you how do you master that? Uh, reinforcement. Uh, we expect dogs to kind of have a little bit of mental telepathy with us. Of you should just know. I like when you hang around near my ankle, uh, but they don't. So you need to tell them, and the easiest way to tell them is use their food. Yeah. So their breakfast in the morning, again, if you had an eight-week-old puppy, whenever puppy is beside you in the heel position, feed them a bit of their breakfast. Walk around, feed them a bit of their breakfast. Right. So literally, it's reinforcement through food. Yeah, absolutely. Food is a primary reinforcer. That's where we're the, a big believer in it. It's just the easiest way to communicate with your dog. Keeping keeping it simple, as it were, socialization yeah. for the new puppy. Mm-hmm. And they're going to go out, and you're going to walk out, and for the first time, they're going to see people that are things that look like them. And now, the fact that they might be ten times the size doesn't matter. They <laughs> want to go, and they want to make friends, 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 friends. That can be um, that can be hazardous. It can be. Um, so socialization is a buzzword, but one often misused. It really is a very specific time frame for puppies. It's between three weeks and 12 weeks of age. Um, after that, if so if you have a dog trainer and you have a three-year-old dog and they're saying, yeah, I'll be able to socialize that dog, no bother. They don't know what they're talking about. They're telling you, I'm a bit of a cowboy. So three weeks to 12 weeks, that's it. That's when you need to expose your puppy to as many sights and sounds as you possibly can in a positive way. Mm-hmm. That is the key. Um, so if your puppy is worried, is cowering, tail tucked, that's where you need to come in with a lot of comfort, um, petting them, picking them up, or again, get their food involved. If they're looking at that big, scary dog, um, start pairing that with their food to teach them, actually, that dog's not so scary. You'll get fed when you look at things that you find frightening. Mm, this is bribery and corruption of the highest order, you know. You wonder, is it dogs or politicians we're talking about here? <laughs> 
you, you talk about the labelling of behaviour. What's mm-hmm. that and why is it not a good thing? Um, so labelling is, it has its uses. Um, I think it's good for communicating, you know, with your vet. If you say, okay, my dog's a little bit aggressive, so can I get an appointment that is later in the evening when no one's around? It's useful. However, it can limit your relationship with your dog if you only ever perceive them as being stubborn or stupid or spoilt. Then every interaction you have with them is through that lens. So when your dog is out on a walk and a big truck goes by and startles them a little bit and they stop because you consider your dog to be stubborn, you say, oh, sure, he thinks he's taking me for a walk and you jerk his neck and drag him along. Because he's afraid of the truck. Any fool can see that. Exactly. You would think, but surprisingly, no, people do really yeah just have a perception of their dog that's quite hard for them to overcome at times yeah yeah so the reason for the behavior they're not necessarily being misbehaved they're afraid of that thing yeah absolutely um there really isn't morality in dogs they don't have the capacity to discern good and bad so they can't do something deliberately to be naughty or nice they're just feeling things and reacting they know what they don't like and they don't want to go near it what is enrichment enrichment is another buzzword that we love it's essentially mental exercise um so physical exercise of dogs is fairly normalized um we all walk our dogs and we feel bad when we don't walk them um on certain days but mentally exercising your dog is not something that has really kind of entered society's norms quite yet um which is unfortunate because most of the breeds out there are traditionally working breeds but we've kind of made them all unemployed which they don't cope very well with that's when you get dogs that you know take up some landscaping in the garden or rearranging the furniture around your house or going on guard patrol at the windows um they're making their own little jobs because you've put them on the dole, essentially. Actually, that, that particular thing about sitting at the window, like my, mm-hmm. two, my two will sit there for ages, right, and look out. And are they seeing and hearing things that I don't see or hear? They're not looking straight into space, are they? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, their sight is interesting so this isn't hugely my area it would be more vets but their distance is better than their up close stuff so they see sudden movement of birds or small prey animals and their hearing is is definitely a lot better than ours um so i know it from my own house my bathroom door is quite sticky and the dog in the next garden if the bathroom door creaks she'll start barking um, and that's a house away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel so bad for her. Um, now, now, there's a thing yeah, that, you, Cola, that you bring to mind because nobody wants, and we all dread when the doggy starts barking at an inappropriate mm. time. Because look, we, we, a barking dog can be an awful nuisance for a neighbour. So, how do you train that, or can you rather train it into a puppy? You absolutely can. Um, so, barking. It is verbal communication for dogs. Um, So generally, it's a symptom. It's not a root cause of anything. And what we would do is dig deeper to find out what is causing your dog to bark. So for the dog behind me, it's a little bit of sound sensitivity. That that squeaking sound, Mm. for whatever reason, she finds it quite disruptive. 
my first port of call would be the vets to see if there's anything going on there to cause that in the eardrums or neurologically. If that's ruled out, then we can absolutely just train it out by low exposure. So I'd start off, you know, with something that isn't quite as um, loud. So let's say just um, playing the sound of a squeaker toy on YouTube Mm. or something. Really low volume and pairing that with her food Mm. um, and pairing that with relaxing activities. Mm. So that instead of getting, oh, I'm a little bit anxious, I'm going to bark. She's actually soothed. Yeah. The, the, The old, again, one of the old methods was to teach them, again, a trigger, like something like and what I learned to do was put put up the palm of my hand in a very non-aggressive way and go shh, and then if the dog calms down, give them a bit of their breakfast. Does that work? Yeah, that, absolutely. I I don't. Yeah, I don't think the palm of the hand is necessarily doing anything, yeah. but an interrupter like a sound like shush, and then they're quiet, and you reinforce that is perfect. Okay. Um, you reinforce what you like. Um, essentially is our big takeaway. Yeah. A dog barking, one last question from a listener, a dog barking for no apparent reason. I, I, I was kind of trained to believe myself there is always a reason just because you mm-hmm. don't know what it is. Absolutely, yeah, I would agree. Unless there's something neurologically going on for that dog, like you said, there's always a reason. Um, we just need to dig deeper and find out what it is. Okay, all right, listen, thank you for being with us today. We may talk again. Claude Walsh, uh, the co-founder of Canine Connect Dog Training Service in Cork. They're the most wonderful addition to any household, but there's a bit of work in them. But I tell you a story about a dog going to the vet and when you bring the dog to the vet at the time of the day you bring the dog to the vet um, our little one uh, the, the little calf like many little calves she, she suffers from a little problem with her bum from time to time and it flares up and sometimes you can treat it at home sometimes you can't and um, I was <laughs> I was bringing her down to the vet ah, it's a while ago now uh, because it was it had come at it and it was bad and we couldn't deal deal with it at home. So I was bringing her down to the vet and he would examine her and give her a painkiller and all this kind of thing. It's sorted in a couple of days. But I put her on the lead and as we were walking into the surgery, the vet called her in, into the surgery and we walk and she sat down and no way was she going. And I had to pick her up and carry her in and I said, she doesn't seem to want to come in. And he said, well, he said, if you had to go into a room... And every time you went into the room, something that they got shoved down your throat or up your behind, well, you wouldn't come here either. <laughs> Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Right, remind you, Premier League Live is back this Saturday after its New Year break. Back on 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh and the team, powered by Talk Sport. Live coverage of Manchester City v Chelsea, that's at 12.30. Norwich v Everton at 3. Everton and Aston Villa against Manchester United at half five. So a busy, busy day. The Premier League Live online with now. Your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with now. And listen Saturday on the Corks 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Now, Mandry Gabriel joins me to talk about Dripsy School and how wonderful they have been to you and your family. Mandy, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. And they have been wonderful. Tell me how. Oh, they've, uh, yeah. Dripsy National School is a fantastic school. So um, my daughter started there in junior infants uh, four years ago. Mm-hmm. And during that time, I was undergoing chemotherapy for breast cancer. So you could imagine things at home weren't, weren't as steady as they could sure, have been. Sure. 
so in class, I suppose Izzy found it a little bit difficult to concentrate, and she had a great teacher, Miss Janine, who got us an extra resource of Elaine Murphy. Um, and Elaine Murphy worked with Izzy on a one-to-one basis um, and not only now at this stage is she up to the same standards as her class she's kind of nearly even surpassed it so when I heard um, about this organisation called Teachers Inspire mm. and they were looking for stories about uh, teachers who've gone above and beyond the call of duty um, I was just compelled to write in about Elaine Murphy and just highlight just how exceptional she was Yeah, because look there are teachers all over the country going mm-hmm. above and beyond every day fair play to them yeah. uh, but it's great to be able to, to, to highlight that teacher in oh, particular oh lovely to be able to recognise her yeah yeah because she's a really important part in our family and it's it's the one name we hear at home constantly and I feel like I'd know her personally from the stories that come home every evening so um, she really was able to tune into what Isabel needed um, and made sure that she never fell behind when things were a little bit difficult at home um, so it was lovely just to be able to trust the community and the community of Dripsy to help out when, when needs be mm. How did you find out about Teachers Inspire? One day I was in the car driving and I heard an ad on the radio and I literally turned on my indicator, pulled in, took out my phone and just wrote a little story about uh, Miss Murphy and just what she kind of means to our family. Great. Stay there for me, Mandy. Louise O'Neill is curator of the campaign. Hey, Louise. Hi, PJ. How are you? Happy birthday. Am I am I wrong in saying that? Oh, you're fine. You're very kind. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Or should I say doctor these days? Um, but yeah. <laughs> you're, the, you're the, the curator of, of uh, Teachers Inspire. Tell me about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I was contacted. Um, you know, it's, the initiative is run in conjunction with uh, DCU um, and they contacted me and asked me if I would be interested in curating the stories. I mean, as a storyteller, I suppose, in curating the stories that were submitted. And, you know, I come from a family of teachers. Um, You know, my mother was a teacher, my sister is a teacher, my cousin is a teacher, my aunts are teachers. Um, So I suppose I've always really believed in not just, I suppose, the power of education, but just, I think, how incredibly inspiring um, teachers can be for students. And I was really excited to start reading through the stories that were being submitted. And, you know, when you get a story like Mandy's um, and when you hear about what an incredibly, you know, difficult time she was going through, and I can't imagine, you know, experiencing that and also being so worried about, you know, your first child starting in junior infants. And I suppose hoping and just I suppose knowing that those teachers will pick up the slack and really help out in that way and the way in which the just the kindness um, and the attention that they gave Izzy it was just really heartwarming to hear about it. Teachers all over the country do that and it's great that we can find some way to thank them for it. Yeah, because I suppose, I mean, I, I, I do think this, PJ, um, teachers get a very hard rap. Um, you know, I think there's all these jokes about, you know, school school hours and holidays and, you know, all of these things. But I really do believe that teaching is a vocation. I mean, not everybody can do it. Um, and the people that do it, I, I think they feel so strongly about it. They really feel like they have a, um, a responsibility to the teacher, to the children that they teach. Um, and yeah, honestly, some of the stories that we were hearing, you know, like, as I said, Mandy's, um, there was another um, another woman called Eileen Curtin O'Neill, um, who was teaching at Rock Chapel National School, who was nominated by a woman called Trina O'Callaghan. Mm-hmm. And she just said that, you know, it was this three teacher mixed school and the teacher set up a, um, a book club. And, you know, she said as a teacher now herself, she is really, I suppose, 
just in awe of the thought of like I suppose you know the busy schedule that you would have the the time the effort the thought that it would take for teachers um, to to create that sort of atmosphere um, in schools for their students. Mm. So Elaine's name now goes forward to a national competition. Is that how it works? Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So as I said, I've been curating um, the stories um, and picking, I suppose, the ones that I felt were the most inspirational. And some of them, like like Mandy's and Elaine's, were incredibly inspirational and then there were other stories that were quieter sort of smaller moments um that i think are also really important because there was something that um mandy actually said about elaine she said to her she's just doing her job but to my family she's a star and i think that's so representative of all those small quieter moments with teachers where they probably don't think they're doing anything out of the ordinary or anything particularly special Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they can literally change the the direction or the future of that child's life Mm -hmm. Um, and i think we've seen that time and time again with the stories yeah I'll come back to you there in a second, Mandy, uh, just to wrap up with you. But, Louise, it, c- can people still nominate another teacher or is it done for now? Um, no, at the moment um, we're finished. But I, I would hope that um, DCU will run it um, again next year because I do think that there are so many incredible teachers all across this country. Um, and I think that it's really important that we acknowledge the work that they're doing. Um, and I suppose give just put a little bit of a spotlight on them and really show how much we appreciate them. So I really hope that the MDCU will run it again next year. Okay. All right. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Uh, Louise O'Neill, author and indeed curator of that campaign. Mandy, just go back to yourself for a second. First of all, how are you now? Are you okay? Great. Full bill of health. Absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I'm back to my old self. Uh, back to work um, and I think everything finally after four years is back to normal. Fabulous. Uh, yeah. Fabulous. New normal but normal. Yeah. yeah. And how's, how's Izzy getting on? She is flying it. I couldn't be more proud of her. Yeah. She's absolutely great. Uh, and the support we got from her community is great and from the principal inside um, Bernard Sheehan it's been fantastic. So I think I think there was no no pothole we fell into or no hiccup we, we got caught on getting through this journey. Excellent. Alright. Yeah. Well I wish you c- continued good health and success success and success for Izzy and for all at the school, especially uh, Elaine, uh, uh, Elaine, the teacher. And thanks to you and thanks to uh, Louise also. 0818969696. People are talking, this is on the phone, people are talking about the minimum pricing and how the government is cracking down too hard on alcohol. As far as I'm concerned, they can close down all the off-licenses forever. Look at all the trouble drink caused during the pandemic. Look at the violence in ordinary times. There's, what, 20 to 30% of the population who don't drink at all. Do you realise that? And many, if not the majority of those, are not just people in recovery. Factor in the people who drink very lightly or in response to social pressure. Am I saying make drink illegal? No, you could brew your own then. There may be other not-for-profit ways of getting it, but there's no doubt that some very clever people are involved in making sure as much of it is, is, is drunk as much as possible. And how is this fair. Look at the vast, vast cost of it to the non-drinkers and the light drinkers. Thanks, caller. Thoughtful post, i got to tell you. That's that's quite... Look, I consider myself to be a moderate social drinker who occasionally goes a little bit overboard. Minimum pricing doesn't really affect me. You know, my little eight-pack that I get on a Friday going home or whatever, Saturday going home for the weekend, that's gone up maybe two quid. It doesn't really bother me that much. But for other people, 
it's it's a big thing. And for someone who is dependent on alcohol and for someone who is spending money on alcohol will spend extra money, a lot of extra money on alcohol. And I would worry for children going hungry. That would be my worry. How's ever? Quickly, to finish, I'm reading from uh, 20, uh, Travel Weekly magazine. And their article says, Things to look forward to in Europe 2022. It's written by Felicity Long, who's going through a number of features or a number of things that she reckons we should be looking out for in 2022. Like there's the refurbishment of the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris and there's a new museum in Lausanne, Switzerland, if we can get to all these things. There's a big anniversary of design in Helsinki and street art in Cork, Ireland. Ordu street art with their wonderful installations around the city and they're there they are in that article on things to look forward to in Europe. Shane O'Driscoll is the co-organiser of Ardu. Shane, good morning. Good morning, sir. How's it if, going? If that's not an endorsement, I don't know what is. Up there against Lausanne, <laughs> Helsinki and Paris. Go a long way has Ardu, haven't they? Ah, sure. Look, Cork's always at the top, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So what have, you, what have you got an offer that we can see this year? Um, this year, I suppose, like that, I suppose, we, we last year was our second year, our second iteration of our do, uh, where we had four more artists come down and paint in Cork. So we've got 11 murals now in total, um, kind of dotted throughout the city. And then we have up on the Ardu Cork website, then you can kind of do self led um, walking tours and that. It's all documented online on the website. So that's what we have to offer big walls and, um, Walks, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's great because the murals are fabulous. I, I my particular favorite one is the hurler, but I know everyone's got their own favorite. Cheers, yeah, yeah, which is great. I mean, it's nice to have a kind of broad selection, uh, different styles to kind of appeal to a lot of people, and that was kind of always our intention of the project. And you, your website, if people want to see what's what's out there, is it just ordu.ie? It's ordu.cork.ie. Or do cork.ie. Well, listen, great to see you included in that big long list of things to do in Europe. We know we're the best. Great that the the best of Europe now knows we're great. Shane, congratulations on that and good luck with the work of Ordu in 22. I didn't even mean to rhyme, but I did which means I need to get out of here before I do it again. <laughs> the programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. I'm not here tomorrow. Fiona sits in. Uh, she'll talk to you just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie.